Have you ever um, have you ever watched a TV show and wondered, hey, whatever happened to that character? Um, you know, you, you maybe get started on a on a show, a series you you like, and you go, oh, I, I really enjoyed that one character there. Whatever happened to him? I know this one thing, and kind of left him hanging, and then, and you know, many episodes later, you're still you're still wondering until all of a sudden you find out, and and maybe you find out through a flashback scene, right? Like you're watching the show and. There's, they start talking, the story kind of weaves, and then that suddenly that little subplot comes back in, and you get all those flashback scenes. Well, that's, that's kind of what's happening in this passage today. Um, there's a flashback scene, a, a scene of, hey, what happened to that character that was introduced at the beginning of this book? Um, and so... In the flashback, we we not only find out what happened to that character, so we get we get the backstory, we get the information, um, but we should be asking the question: Well, what's this all about? Why? Why is this here? Um, in the story, we we get to hear about what happened to this character, John the Baptist, and when we started the Gospel of Mark, when we, when we, be, when we first looked at this, um, we began in Mark by the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So this is going to be about Jesus. Well, the very first character that, that's introduced after that is not Jesus, it's John. And we hear about John, how he came into, uh, into the wilderness and he was baptizing and he was calling people to repent and so he's baptizing them. They're confessing their sins. But John was there to be a forerunner, an announcer, somebody who's saying, this is, this is what's coming. So he was there to announce Jesus, Jesus' message and Jesus' ministry. So then, it, you know, we go on and we, we see Jesus begin His ministry and we see Him heal and we see Him preach and we see Him call disciples and we see the conflict that He has with the religious leaders of His day. We see Him call 12 men to be His disciples and He calls them apostles, one who, ones who are sent. And He teaches them and He instructs them and then eventually sends them out on a mission to themselves to preach and to heal and to cast out evil spirits and to, to push back against the power of darkness, against Satan's domain. Well, then we get back to chapter 6 and we're here in verse 14. Suddenly John the Baptist, his name comes up again. And we discover what actually has happened to this guy. Why? Well... First, a couple of things, a couple of reasons why this story is here. I want to just kind of give you these things. You can begin thinking about them now. The first thing is, what you believe about Jesus is important. What you believe about Jesus is important. It, not just, and, and it's not just your opinion, but how you respond to that, to what you believe about Jesus and how you build your life around that belief and you build your life around Him as a person. But the second thing, the second reason that it's here is that there is a cost to following Jesus. We call that discipleship, following Jesus, being a disciple, a follower. And the cost of discipleship is real because rejection 
is real. People do reject Christians. They'll reject their, them as friends. They will reject them in all kinds of ways. And this story then becomes a case of rejection. It really is a case of rejection here in John. So, let me read these verses um, for you, and you can follow along with me. I'm going to read Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. We'll read this whole little narrative. Well, begins this way. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. And he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask, I will give you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break, break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the story begins immediately uh, with King, Her King Herod heard of it. Well, what, what did he hear of? What, what was he hearing? Well, just prior to this, when we left off five weeks ago, we, were, we saw the disciples sent out, the twelve sent out to preach and to cast out demons. And so that's what they did in verse 13. They said, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. In verse 12 they said they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. Well, Herod hears this. The disciples are spreading the message. They're telling more and more people about Jesus. And whether or not... Apparently, Herod hadn't heard much about Jesus. I mean, Jesus is traveling around. Obviously, the crowds in general are ecstatic, and they're, they're following Jesus. They're learning about Him. But you can imagine maybe Herod... He's in his he's in his palace. He's take, he's doing his kind of government thing. He's trying to rule his his land, and maybe he's connecting with the Romans. And you see, he's with nobles and military commanders and leading men of Galilee later in the story. But apparently, he didn't 
know much about Jesus until this big missionary trip by the 12 disciples. So they're hearing about it, or he's hearing about it, and what is he thinking? He's thinking, this is John the Baptist back from the dead, raised from the dead. Oh, so spoiler alert, John the Baptist was put to death. The last time we saw him back in chapter 1, he had been arrested, and then Jesus began his ministry. Now we find out, well, this is what happened. John the Baptist had been put to death shortly, probably shortly after he was arrested. Or at least a, uh, maybe a few months, weeks after he was arrested. So there's Herod hearing that Jesus, that the twelve were preaching, that they were healing. But Jesus had also prepared the disciples with, hey, if anybody doesn't receive you, they will not listen to you. Shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. That was a a symbolic gesture saying, those people don't accept the message. They're not one of us. They have rejected this. Jesus told them that they would do that. And why would they reject Him? Because they were telling people, they were preaching that people should repent. So what do we see here in the story? Herod, scared of John the Baptist, when he gets into the story and we find out what actually happened, why John was put into jail, was because John was preaching against what Herod had done and telling him he needs to repent, you need to stop doing this, it's not right for you to do this. So John was doing the exact same thing. John becomes an example for the disciples of how to maintain the message and how to be faithful, how to prepare for and be ready for and go through rejection. How should should we do that? Well, so the first thing is, and I want to focus on this, is that the disciples or followers of Jesus should maintain the message. They should be faithful to that message. And so that's what Herod heard. He had heard the disciples sharing, talking about Jesus. This Herod, by the way, um, his name was Antipas. He had the name Herod from his father. And in fact, there were several people of that time who took the name Herod. Kind of Think of it as a surname. Think of it as a, a kind of a cooler name than Johnson. Um, but that's that was their that was the name they they took. And and this this Herod this Herod Antipas was actually not really a king. Um, Mark calls him a king. He wanted he liked to fashion himself as a king, but he was really a tetrarch, meaning that he ruled a fourth of. Herod's original kingdom. And he ruled from the time in this, this part of, the, of Palestine from about the time Herod died in 4 BC all the way up until AD 39, a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So he ruled for quite a long time in this one area. Um, people People thought of him as sort of a weaker version of his father. He was still not very nice. He was still somewhat ruthless. Um, but he didn't have exert as much power and authority. But he, he, he built some cities and he tried to do some building projects, kind of like his father. But you can see that for all the authority that he had in that area, one little man preaching the message bothered him a great deal, affected him a great deal. And so he thought, maybe this, 
maybe this Jesus is John the Baptist come back to life. And if, he's, if, he, if he has come back to life, um, which the, the Jews believed at that time, when, when people began re- to be resurrected, that was a sign of the end. That was a sign that God was bringing about this judgment. And so Herod's a little nervous thinking, John the Baptist has come back to life. And this is, this is not going to go well for me because resurrection leads to judgment. And he thought he was John the Baptist. Some people said he was John the Baptist. That's what, it, that's what, that's what Herod believed. Um, others were saying that he was Elijah. Malachi, the prophet Malachi prophesied that Elijah would come. And other people thought he was just another prophet like Moses or Jeremiah or somebody else. Kind of one of those prophets that God was sending near the end of time to proclaim that judgment was coming. The day of the Lord was coming. We'll look a little more in detail at all of those three, the significance of those three things a little bit later when we, when we get to chapter 8 of Mark's Gospel. But I think it's important to see that in, in the, in, within that whole situation that was going on, Herod had heard the preaching and he'd heard it and he even had, he even had a high opinion. Think about it of who this Jesus was. Oh, he's a prophet. Oh, he's John the Baptist come back to life. Oh, he's Elijah. This, he's somebody important. But that didn't translate into faith. It's kind of a reminder for us that hearing the good news doesn't necessarily equate to believing in it. Having a high opinion of Jesus isn't the same thing as putting your faith in Him. I mean, there are those who who say Jesus was a great person. In fact, he was probably the greatest person who ever lived. He did all these wonderful things. He taught amazing things. And because of Jesus, history changed. I mean, it, it, it changed our calendar system. I mean, we look back at that time and go, That's, we're counting years from the time that Jesus came on this earth. But simply having a high opinion of it, Simply having the familiarity with with Jesus is not the same as acting on it. You can see that like the fool in Proverbs, Herod had heard, but he didn't respond. He didn't act on it. He, He was fascinated by John, it says, he was perplexed. He, he, he had questions and he liked to listen to him. But it wasn't enough. Disciples like John and like us today um, must be faithful to that message of Jesus. And here's, here's, a, here's what John was doing. His faithful preaching of the gospel preparing people's hearts, telling them about Jesus, also included challenging their sin. Pointing, at, pointing it out. Saying stuff like, you know, your life, the way you're living it, is not going to make you right with God. That's why Jesus came. There was a moral dimension to it. I had a conversation with a young lady last week um, 
Her name was Fiona. Um, and uh, she had all kinds of really good questions. And I, I wanted to talk to her about Jesus. And, and I, I shared with her the gospel. And I shared with her th- those, you know, how, how Jesus came um, to take care of all of the problems that we have. Uh, that our lives in every way are, are somehow distorted from God's plans for us. And what really counted was not changing a little behavior here or a little bit of behavior there, but having Jesus change us from the inside out. But her questions particularly revolved around the question of homosexuality. She, her question, what do you believe about that? I said, well, I believe what the Bible believes about that. I believe what the Bible says about that. And uh, it led to a lot of uh, great questions or, and answers and great conversation. And she really had a genuine question. She wasn't asking me a gotcha question um, to try to get me into a corner. But she really wanted to know. And so... Uh, you know, I had an opportunity to talk about a moral subject from God's Word. And, you know, with a little trepidation, uh, I did that. Um, I think maybe that's something about um, what John was doing. Only John was saying that to the so-called king of this region. And I was simply talking to a young lady who really didn't have the power to throw me in jail or cut my head off. But still, what are we saying? Is that message true? Is that message faithful? Or do we shy away from maybe some of those hard conversations or some of those hard subjects? Disciples also, though, prepare for rejection. So you see how the story went. Um, John had spoken against Herod's sin. He had taken uh, a wife named Herodias, and it was his brother Philip's wife. Um, so here's, a, here's, here's what was going on there. Herodias was Antipas's, his Herod's niece. Herod's older brother from a different mother had a daughter named Herodias. Antipas decided, I like my niece. I'm going to marry her. And so... She left Antipas' other brother, who was already married to her. You see how it's pretty rotten. It's pretty depraved. It's pretty screwed up. But that was what was going on there. And so it would seem natural that a man of God who's preaching the gospel would say, Herod, what the heck are you doing? Um, he wasn't just kind of he wasn't trying to give Herod a hard time, but he was pointing out your family's a mess. Stop stop perpetuating this family sin, this this generational sin. Well, Herodias obviously didn't like it. it says in verse nineteen, she had a grudge against him, and 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 really the the impact of that is that she was nursing a grudge. She wouldn't let go of it. She was constantly feeling begrudged by John. And so eventually convinced Herod to throw him into jail. Maybe that will take care of it. Maybe that will silence him. But then Herod kept going and having conversations with John. And I'm imagining Herodias was like, why do you keep talking to him? Every time you talk to him, he tells you that we're wrong. And he gets into our business. Why do you do this? 
she uh, she's holding this grudge. She's nursing the grudge, and it says that she couldn't get put him to death, but she was looking for an opportunity, and that's what verse twenty-one tells us. An opportunity came. Here's Herod bringing in all of his friends in. We're going to have a banquet. It's going to be one of these big shindigs in the Near East through through these raging parties. And during that time, the... the Sorry. Imagine the king <laughs> speaking to his people with a thundering voice. And, but the king, uh, important people who were throwing parties at that time would... Um, would would give gifts and and they that was an opportunity for them to be generous because that was going to improve their reputation and, and those people would enjoy a, a big party you can imagine them maybe like a maybe like a senator or a would-be senator or would-be president or would-be governor throwing a big party and and you know giving gifts and you know the padded handshake to people who are going to support him it, it, it's not that much different well, there he is giving a banquet and, and it says that Herodias' daughter came in and she danced and, and she pleased Herod and his guests. Now what was she doing? We don't know exactly what kind of dance this was. It's kind of unusual to have a But she did, and most people see in the context there that she probably did some kind of a, a dance that would have been pleasing to a lot of men gathered in one place, if, if you get my drift. And so Herod's, oh, wow, I kind of like my stepdaughter. She's pretty nice. And everyone else is like, wow, she's, she really dances well. And so Herod makes a promise. Makes an oath. Says, "I'm going to be very generous." Oh, oh, you you please us so well. You ask me ask me for whatever you want. I'll give it to you. Oh, man. he sounds very virtuous. He's got a generous heart. Everyone's thinking, "Wow, this guy is is very gracious, very generous." And then he makes a vow and he says, "Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom." Well, we go back to the Old Testament. See a couple of stories of people making rash vows. Back in Judges chapter 11, a man named Jephthah makes a rash vow that whatever, if I get victory in this, in this battle, whatever comes out of the door of my house when I come home, I will offer it as a burnt sacrifice, burnt offering. And then we have a story of, of Esther, where the king is telling Esther, hey, whatever you want. Ask me whatever you want up to half your kingdom. In the case of Jephthah, it was his only daughter who came out of the house to meet him. And this man who, who made this vow and wanted to be virtuous because I keep my word sacrificed his only daughter. And in the case of Esther, Esther is a little more virtuous. She doesn't ask for half the kingdom. She just asks for justice, and it's given to her. But here, here we see things get a little twisted, right? Herod makes this rash vow. He thinks he's so great. Everyone's thinking, "Wow, you're you're really um, you're really impressive, Herod. You're a very generous person. Wow, you even made a vow. You give up to half your kingdom, which he 
wasn't authorized to do. But she immediately, or she then went straight to her mother and said, what should I ask for? Mom, we didn't plan this part out. Uh, you, you told me to go and dance. You, you probably, probably Herodias was the one who set the whole thing up. What should I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, without question. So she immediately goes to him and probably she goes there, the banquet, she comes to make her request and she probably looks around at all the platters full of food and meat and fruit and all kinds of things that are good and she goes, I would like for you to give me on a platter at once the head of John the Baptist. Not, I would like you to give me on a platter some of the finest, choicest foods, but I want the head of John the Baptist. What happens to Herod? Can you imagine being maybe in his situation? He, he likes this guy. He's, he's a funny guy. He likes to listen to him. He likes to talk to him. But he was exceedingly sor sorry. It's, the, the emphasis there is that his heart just sank what have I done? But he was trapped. He made a rash vow. His, his virtue was really a masquerade for self-promotion. It wasn't based on truth. It wasn't based on wisdom. And so he keeps his word. The executioner goes and brings John's head and the girl takes the head on a platter and gives it to her mother. And that's the last we hear of those people. But at the end, we see John's disciples hear, hear about it. Not sure when they heard about it. It may, might have been several days, several weeks. Probably those friends of John who were close by were probably living there in that, in that city and were attentive to John's needs, you know, helping him out if he needed anything. That was kind of the way you did things when your family member was in prison. You would be nearby. But they go and they do the only virtuous thing in the story. The only righteous people in the story are the disciples who take his body and lay it in a tomb and give him a proper burial. The story is really focused on Herod, isn't it? Herod and Herodias and, and his daughter. And, um, John is just a tool. He's just, he's just a... He's being used by all of the parties involved. But for John, he becomes, for Mark and his readers and for us, an example an example of that faithful witness, an example of somebody who was prepared for rejection, that even threats and imprisonment did not keep him from speaking the truth. And we have examples like that in all of history. You read the book of Acts, and every time a believer is arrested, they with boldness proclaim the truth. It doesn't shut them up. We have history telling us down through the centuries, people who are imprisoned for the sake of Jesus, who continue to maintain their faith, they continue to maintain their, their witness all the way to the fires of the stake, all the way to the gallows, all the way to the chopping block. The, what we would think of as this 
this bitter cruelty, this grimness of the story didn't keep him from speaking. And it didn't stop the disciples as well. The disciples went out and preached and proclaimed that people should repent. In the next verse, and we will look at this more next week, the apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And they continue to do so. They continue to be faithful to Jesus. They continue to teach. They continue to spread the Word. This doesn't throw them off their game. When Christians in in East Asia are arrested like some were just a month ago, it doesn't stop the witness. It doesn't prevent them from sharing. But I fear that where we are, one little setback, somebody doesn't like what we say, somebody gets offended, we just clam up. We're not going to say another word. I guess that that subject is off limits. Don't talk about religion with so-and-so anymore. How sad that we give up so easily while our brothers and sisters down through history and right now in other parts of the world are boldly proclaiming their hope that they have in Jesus. Despite the threat. Despite the imprisonment. Despite the cruelty. Well, indeed, John was the forerunner of the message and the ministry of Jesus. We saw that all the way back in chapter 1. But in this chapter, John is the forerunner of Jesus' death. John is prefiguring that. He is, he, his, this little flashback scene comes back in the story later on. When Jesus is trying to teach His disciples, telling them, this is what is coming. This is what we're going to. Are you going to follow Me? I'm going to My death. They did to John the Baptist everything that they want to do. And they're going to do that to the Son of Man as well. He was a forerunner of Jesus' death. But unlike John the Baptist... Herod mistakenly thought he had come back to life. Jesus' death was not the end. And truly, resurrected, appearing to His disciples, filling them with His Spirit, they were then emboldened for this witness. Sometimes we look back at this and we think, how could we... How could we continue to be faithful to Jesus under all of these circumstances? (laughs) How could we? How could we be that bold? We forget that Jesus rose from the dead. That death was nothing to Him. Nothing to Him and it's nothing to us because there's nothing that anybody can do to us to keep us from the eternal life that is secured for us by Jesus if we're in Christ. question for you all and for me is, do you have that confidence? Do you know that nothing in this world is going to keep you from Christ? We think of that as heaven. We had a conversation with my nephew the other day about heaven. 
and about what it's like to be in heaven. <laughs> that eternal life that is secured for us. Life in its fullness. Life that is, that is, a, a, that is the true life. All that we experience here is just a reflection or a shadow of what is really true and what we have for us in Christ. And if we have that, then there's nothing that Jesus cannot ask us. There is nothing God cannot call us to do. There is nothing that under His power and His motivation we cannot share and, and speak to another person. Do you have that confidence? And if you do, are you living it? Is your life lived for His glory? Is your speech full of Him, the good news, full of hope, full of joy? A friend, um, a friend that we met last week was sharing her story. Born in a closed country, emigrated as a child to another <laughs> closed country. And when she was a young child, and this still happens today all over the world, she was struck with polio. She survived that. And then she learned to live with this disability. And um, as a young lady, she put her faith in Jesus. And with Christ changing her, God didn't heal her. She's still, she's still walking with braces and crutches or, or a walker. She's still, she still has that disability. But when she turned to Christ, it changed everything for her. And she can walk around the city, uh, walk around in a place where, where disabled people are pretty much discarded. They're encouraged to stay home. Don't come out. Don't embarrass your family. Don't put strain on the rest of us. But with joy, she lives her life. <laughs> because Jesus did something in her, changed her. And people will ask her, Why are you happy? You have no reason to be happy. Why are you joyful? You have no reason to be joyful. And she, with boldness, has opportunity day after day to share the hope that she has, to share the reason that she has joy. So I hope that it won't take an infirmary. I hope that it won't take a disability. I, I hope that it won't take any of those things, a deathbed or a, 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 an imprisonment to make you bold for Jesus. I hope that whatever you're going through right now, in that, your hope is in Him and you're giving glory to Him and you're testifying to the goodness of Jesus so that the people in our city can hear that as well. Those who are desperate for it. Shall we pray? Father, I thank You for this word and I thank You for the encouragement it was on my heart and the challenge it was to me to, uh, to think maybe a little differently about 
about my witness and how I respond to uh, even the the small kind of re- rejection that that all of us will sometimes experience. God, I just pray that you'll help us to be faithful, that on one hand you'll not let us be like Herod who who heard but didn't believe. Or like Herodias who, who nursed a grudge and it, and it caused her to be bitter for the rest of her life. But to be like John and his disciples and the disciples of Jesus who continued with boldness to speak the truth with love um, with graciousness with respect but yet never shying away from sharing all that Jesus had done and taught help us to be like that for your glory and our joy in you we pray in Jesus name Amen